Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. That was the moment I was like, this Urban Meyer guy is... (laughs) He's not wired like everyone else. SI's Pat Forty. He's the single most psychoanalyzed coach in the history of college football because he might be the single most psycho coach in the history of college football. <laughs> I mean, that that's what comes along with this. You get psychoanalyzed when you do the things he did and say the things he said. Pete Thamel. I will send you a case of your beloved <laughs> Sierra Nevada if they end up with you freeze. Okay? Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Off season's here. Urban Meyer's heading back to work, not in college football, but America's favorite unhinged college football coach is going to take a swing at the pros, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I know it's an NFL story, but it's also Urban's. He's always one of ours. It's one of ours. It's like watching your child leave. <laughs> Pat, you know what this is like. So like yeah. we watching Urban drive off in a, you know, a used car with all the stuff jammed into the back, half a tank of gas, winging a prayer. What is it like, Pat? <laughs> you know, you just you say, make good decisions, son, daughter. <laughs> you just you, you hope that they're they're going out there. You you shoot the arrow from the bow. You don't know where it's gonna land. But Urban Meyer's landing in Jacksonville. And stunningly, you know, this I, I think is it was the third time in December 2018 when Urban said no he's retiring for good and of course nobody believed him then and there was good reason not to believe him he never meant it uh he just had to get out of one situation and into something else and this is what he's getting into it's I mean hey it's interesting totally new totally new realm NFL fascinating whether this guy can do it not from a coaching acumen standpoint I think we all think that he could succeed from that standpoint but <clears throat> can he handle the NFL and everything that comes with it after being the king of the castle for so many years in so many places in college football? Well, look, you get invited to an Urban Meyer or Floyd Mayweather retirement party. <laughs> get a gift yeah. receipt. Get a gift receipt. This is, it's like a Larry King uh, wedding or something. Didn't that guy get married like eight yeah. times oh, or yeah. something? Like, glad he's unretired. Happy retirement or not. Uh, well, look, what makes this interesting to me is obviously we have a, a lengthy history of coaches going to the NFL and it not working out to various degrees, uh, dating back to like Lou Holtz at the Jets won, won three games 
you know, Steve Spurrier famously barely made it through two seasons in Washington. I don't even know if he made it all two seasons. Nick Saban didn't didn't work out in Miami, although he did a pretty good job. And the team's decision not to draft or not to uh, trade for Drew Brees was <laughs> not a good one uh, in hindsight. Did that not but, work out for uh, Miami? We also Is have, that not a good deal? That, did, Was that, a bad that didn't decision? work out for Miami. Drew turned out to be okay and healthy enough to play since he's 41 and playing this weekend. <laughs> think, talk about a bad medical diet. We don't think he's going to make it. I think he's got a short shelf. It's literally like the second. It's him, Brady, and George Blanda <laughs> who <laughs> smoked like five packs of Marlboro Reds a game <laughs> and still played. Uh so no one healthier than that. Anyway, this could be Jimmy Johnson, right. though, uh, who left Miami to go to the Cowboys. And I say that because Jimmy, now he had Troy Aikman and, and Michael Irvin on his team. He then took Herschel Walker, traded him to Minnesota for, I think, eight draft picks and four players or some enormous of, uh, sum and turned that into what was three Super Bowl championships, two of which he coached before he and Jerry Jones couldn't get along anymore. Uh, Jerry fired Jimmy and since then haven't done a whole lot. Uh, another great decision in retrospect. But Urban, uh, you know, to me, he needs to build a culture. Needs He wants his guys. This is as close as you're going to get. He's got almost $100 million maybe in cap space. We're not sure what the cap's going to be. He's got four of the top 45 picks. He's got Trevor Lawrence. He's got 11 picks overall. Pete, does that mitigate some of the issues of like college coach that can't just recruit, you know, 25 guys a a, a season? Yeah, well, the path for success here, if you're going to draw it out, is is pretty obvious for Urban Meyer. There are essentially eight to 10 quarterbacks who are high functioning in the NFL. And then you have 24-ish franchises trying to find a highly functioning quarterback. If you go in to the NFL with a highly functioning quarterback, which we assume it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, and uh, they're going to draft him, you you kind of start with pocket aces. So I really think that that was a really attractive piece of this to Urban Meyer, is that he knows he can draft and then develop and then build an offensive system around, you know, a generational, potentially generational talent, certainly a generational prospect. I think the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck and I might even say, and Pat, we could probably talk about this later because you and I both saw a lot of Andrew Luck and a lot of Trevor Lawrence. I would put Trevor Lawrence like a, an inch ahead of Andrew Luck um, from, uh, from from what we've seen there. Maybe that's just because we're biased because we saw him in some more big games and there were big moments. He also had much better receivers, much, much, much better receivers. The, the you know the, the path to success, if Urban Meyer's going to be success in the NFL, it starts with Trevor Lawrence. And then step two is, he needs to identify, hire, and then learn from established NFL coordinators. Who those are is unknown yet, but this can't be a get the band back together. He certainly will need some familiar faces around, and and I think he'll he'll go find some. But I really feel like if Urban Meyer is going to make it, they need to make deft coordinator hires, and he has to be open to learning and evolving from them. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, this is this is not just something where you roll out the same formula you've gone with at Ohio State, Florida, Utah, Bowling Green. You you have to be willing to attack this differently than you attacked a college job because it is different in in huge ways. And yes, having Trevor Lawrence is great, and all that cap space. Yeah, you can put together. I think some some good pieces, but then yeah, you've got to be able to 
coach professionals in a professional manner. You've got to be able to have a staff that functions at an NFL level. And, you know, most important, I think, for Urban, you've got to handle losing a lot of games the first year and probably a fairly significant number of games thereafter for, you know, maybe the next couple of years. Maybe maybe by year three, four, you've got it going. I mean, even really good quarterbacks, like, I mean, like, and I, I agree. I, look, I would put Trevor Lawrence a notch ahead of Andrew Luck. And I thought Andrew Luck was fantastic. But I'd put, I think Lawrence has even greater natural talents than Luck does. But... You're asking a guy after three years of college to step in to a bad franchise and immediately take over. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that can do that off of three years of college. I think most of them probably would benefit from a a year to sit and watch and learn before you get into it. But, I mean, we'll see what the, you know, if if Gardner Minshew is going to still be around, if they're going to ask him to, to be a placeholder for a year or what have you. But... Trevor Lawrence is obviously going to be the, the guy for the future, but it, it's going to be a while. This is not going to be just a radical transformation, I don't believe. I tell you, the the expectations these days are quick, yeah. right? But if you look at you look at the last two MVPs, Lamar Jackson and, and Patrick Mahomes, they did have that year. Bring these guys, hey, Kyler Murray are out there. Mayfield, you know, they might keep them on the bench for a couple couple weeks. Miami had it going this year with uh, Fitzpatrick, uh, and then they threw two a. Uh, Tungavaloa in anyway. That was really weird. They were six and two. Yeah, five and two. I remember, you know, one of the things about the NFL is if you have a a a great quarterback on a rookie contract, you have a decided advantage over everybody else. And so there's a little bit of like the clock is ticking the other way. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is potentially extremely valuable in year two and three, not so much when he eventually gets a contract extension that pays him you know, whatever the number is going to be at that point, $50 million a year or something. We'll see that that there will be that patience. I think all of us wonder about the the toll, the stress. We talked about this on the pod earlier in the fall. I mean, this is one of the all-time worst losers I've ever yeah. seen. Uh, you know, from the that, that, that famous picture of him, like, dejected on the back of a golf cart after losing to Michigan State oh, yeah. and, like, eating a slice of pizza to some kind of heart trouble he had after and just despondency when he lost at Florida, Alabama, even when they were winning at Florida, he was losing weight and stressing. Now, you know, that team uh, had, what was it? 37 arrests. And there there were other things uh, going on for sure. Yeah. And one of the guy, the guy who didn't get arrested was Aaron Hernandez. (laughs) So, you know, that's, it's a little bit of a stressful. I would have quit yeah. too. Uh, that was one of my model players I could point to. Uh, uh, you had a lot of things, but so he doesn't have to deal with some of those. One beauty of the NFL is guy gets arrested and then on you. Right. Um, you don't have to babysit everything. But the the losses, like how does he handle losses? How does he handle the tight games? Uh, the stress of tight. Every game is one possession in the NFL. Yeah, certainly if he doesn't lose more than he wins next year, this is an unbelievable (laughs) success story. So five or six wins is kind of a cap to go from one. And so he's going to lose a lot. It's going to be some frustrations. How does he handle that, Pete? Well, it's it's going to be fascinating. And and you nailed it right on the head. His ability to handle losing is going to be the single most important factor for Urban Meyer eventually becoming successful in the NFL. If you look at his time at Ohio State, he was there seven years. He lost nine games. He went 54 and four in the Big Ten Conference. 
I would guess of those, uh, I guess, 91 games, I would guess he was an underdog in five to seven of them, perhaps. Maybe. Like maybe fewer. Yeah, there were, I mean, yes, it, somewhere in that, uh, so, somewhere in that neighborhood. So he went, he, he did a career evolution in college from his rise at Bowling Green in Utah was because his teams had a decisive strategic advantage. They had the spread offense. Nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew how to stop them. I just remember that year at Utah, how hapless people looked when they played them. I mean, oh, yeah. Alex Smith looked like Lamar Jackson because the scheme was so good. And Alex Smith was obviously the number one pick and draft. He's a great quarterback, but he's not, you know, in terms of athletically, he's not Lamar Jackson. When he got to Florida and then Ohio State, especially, the, the realization came that you could get such a decisive talent advantage that scheme didn't mean as much. So by the end at Ohio State, he was spending – 80% of his time recruiting. I mean, it was recruiting and it was, he was, I, I remember being in the building and he would walk in uh, like the office of some of the recruiting people and be like, I want to talk to the top five and I'm making this up sophomore receivers in the country today. Get me on the phone with them. And then it's like, wow, you know, and like, then they walk in the office and be like, Hey, this is, you know, this is Dan Wetzel, sophomore from South Bloomfield, Michigan. Right. And then like they'd, they'd put it on Dan. Yeah. Dan would be a slot receiver. I would think. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know if he could stretch the field and then, you know, boom. You got Moss. Yeah, boom. <laughs> Dan, watch your film. Love what you did against Cast Tech last week. You can really stretch the field. And then, you know, do you want to hold up a crystal trophy? Blah, blah, blah. And that was because, it, and again, I think it was prescient in a lot of ways where, you know, you got all these coaches. I mean, they, everybody's got all the ton of coaches and they they handled the strategy. And his job was to, to fill it up with five stars. And we're still seeing those five stars, right? Like other than right. Justin Fields, and there was obviously some really good young talent. Ryan Day's recruited really well there. A majority of the starters that, that we saw in the field in the title game were Urban Meyer recruited. And so he didn't get enough of them. That was the problem. Yeah. The next evolution now back is going to be to, and the NFL the successful NFL coaches can manage games and they can manage players. Now, I got a lot of faith in Urban Meyer managing games, right? It's pretty, you know, he's done, you know, 219 games. So like that part, he'll be fine with. There'll be some adjustment to the NFL game. He'll be fine with the managing game. Managing the players is is, is another thing that's just going to be radically different than uh, than college. You you have to adjust your style of leadership. And the the last point I'll make is this, like, he's a very bright guy. We've all been around him. The The... He's bright enough to realize what he has to do to adjust in terms of some of the leadership things and some of the different things. So that's uh, I mean, the best coaches, the Belichick's, the Sabins, those guys, they are all like next level smart. And he is I do believe he has that caliber of raw intellect to go back where I kind of started this meandering thought process. The managing the losses is the variable here that is going to be, you know, tricky to account for. Got to move on. You, you, the one thing he has always done is create a culture. Taylor Decker played Ohio State and now is with Detroit Lions. Uh, got asked, I got asked about Urban and what he make it as a coach. And he just talked about build, him building the culture and getting people to buy in. Because one of the things you need is there's such flux in your roster. Your 45 are not the same every week. And you can have dramatic changes. You talk about the Cleveland Browns last week. They had offensive linemen that hadn't met Baker Mayfield. <laughs> yeah. Hadn't right. met him until I think the day before practice or whatever you have to have, and it's really hard now, but in general, you have to be able to walk in and feel like this is how this operates. And that's one of the keys and why the Patriots are so successful is not only they have Belichick, but they have Brady. 
and they had all these other guys. You had the McCordys and the Ty Laws and the, these Brewskis and these these culture guys, if you will, who were good play, really good players. But you had to have that, and and because then your your second half of that roster is in flux all the time, right? And so that's how you end up with Malcolm Butler being an MVP of a Super Bowl or whatever, you know, making the play, yep. and you go, who the hell is this guy? Well, he's undrafted, but he just he fits in. So that's what Urban really is good at creating, and that's why I think, uh, you know, potentially this has uh, has an ability. He's not going in thinking I'm just smarter. I don't think he's going in. One interesting thing I saw was he's trying to negotiate like improvements in the facilities at Jacksonville for like recruiting purposes, practically. <laughs> if they're going to bring guys in, we need a first yeah. rate. You don't hear a whole lot of that in in the NFL. I always joke like Michigan State has far better facilities than the New England Patriots. <laughs> New England Patriots have a little bubble in the right. back and one locker room that these days by college standards would be considered small. Mm-hmm. And the weight room is right next to the locker room and it's got like a curtain. <laughs> like yeah. Now it's, I mean, Gillette Stadium is nice. I'm not saying it's bad, but the way we do colleges oh. now, it would be like, what is that? Where's the recording studio? Yeah. You know, what did Auburn just put a flight simulator? Auburn's in there? plan for their new new facility is two recording studios <laughs> and a flight simulator. Flo- Florida's, <laughs> which is going to open soon, has a, a pool that like the pool you would see at the Phoenician or something, <laughs> and of course a barbershop. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. So you go, then you go to the Patriots. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, they seem to be able to play pretty good football. You know, out here and Belichick's like, no, we practice outside because we play outside. Yeah. Like all year round. That's why we're good in December. We're not going in a bubble. but we're not going in our indoor it's three degrees. This is great. <laughs> Love it. Hey, some interesting things. I, I think a lot. I mean, again, this is a college podcast. We know that. But I think a lot of college fans would be really interested to see what Urban does, either either rooting him on or absolutely enjoying <laughs> every emotional failure of the guy. But he is c- clearly one of the five most fascinating figures in college football, if not college athletics as a whole, the last, you know, 15, 20 years. I mean, he has been just a rocket ship coming on. No doubt about it. And it's funny, too, Pete, just I wanted to double back that you talked about that Utah team. I covered the first game of the year they went undefeated, his second season there. They were playing Texas A&M on a Thursday night. And everybody's like, ah, let's see what Utah's got. But Texas A&M is going to be better. They blew the doors off of Texas A&M. And it was all scheme. It was all game plan. Like Dennis Franchione got humiliated that night. And right then and there, you saw the difference between a good coach at a power program and a great coach at a up and coming program. And that's who Urban Meyer was. And that's, I mean, yeah, he eventually got to the point where he was the great coach at a power program and had all the advantages. And now he's going to go to the other side of it and not have a lot of the advantages, at least in terms of immediate personnel. We'll see how it handles it. I did look it up. December 4th, 2018, Urban Meyer's quote. Hang on. Let me get it. Let me make sure I get it right. I believe I will not coach again. I believe. Mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. I, this is the one, you know, we don't know where he's at. And and I, I go back to Pete. You wrote a, a story, and I just called it up. New York Times, December 26, 2009. And this was a bombshell. <laughs> he, had, he had just... Uh, thanks for scr- making us all scramble the day after Christmas. I pre- appreciate that, Pete. Oh, uh, I believe this thing came out at like one in the morning too. Uh, like I, think Christmas it was, day. I think it was earlier than that. Cause I want to say we had company over and we're sitting eating dinner and that thing breaks and I'm at ESPN and they're calling me immediately. And I'm like, Pete, I want to kill you. I was just, no. uh, yeah. Pete's like <laughs> unwrapping presents at the <laughs> Meyer home. Like the rest of us are trying to, <laughs> thanks for, can you take a day off? 
This is why we had to all get you on the team. <laughs> At least then I know it's coming. Uh, I mean, this he he had won a national title and won like a, a zillion games in a row, and then he he basically retires for a day. And these some of these quotes are the most unbelievable quotes. Uh, he said is he says he's going to quit Florida. He said his 18 year old daughter Nikki hugged him and said, "I get my daddy back. I saw it as a sign from God. It's the right thing to do." When your health flashed before, he had he had some chest pains, but went to the hospital. It was some of the stuff he talked about. He had admitted texting recruits during church services. He said his daughter had said they hadn't had a real conversation in a couple years. He said his 16-year-old daughter told him she had not felt as if she had talked to him in the past two years. He found himself emailing recruits in church. They didn't have text back then. Texting was illegal. So he... <laughs> He texted was illegal. <laughs> he lost 20 pounds in a 10-day period around the SEC title game stress. Okay, so he tells all of this to Pete on Christmas. He retires, and then one day later, he unretires, <laughs> says, I'm just not going to work as hard on the job. And that was the moment I was like, this Urban Meyer guy is, <laughs> he's not wired <laughs> like everyone else. I mean, like, I can't think of anything worse than having my daughter say, hey, I haven't talked to you in two years. I would be like, oh, my <laughs> yeah. Lord, rock right. bottom. And he's like, he hit rock bottom and he was like, boy, look at how Tebow's running that, <laughs> running that option. <laughs> Get back on the field. So I'm not surprised this this has a this retirement hasn't stuck. I, I, I mean, I remember that night pretty vividly. I was at my aunt and uncle's for, uh, for, for Christmas in, uh, in the Columbus area of all places, actually. And, uh, I just remember his voice on the phone, you know, I mean, his voice on the phone, you know, it's this guy with this big bravado and this presence and his voice was like shaking on the, on the phone. And I was in New Orleans the next day too, when he, when he came back and had kind of the comeback press conference. And that's, you know, sort of the moment where Urban Meyer became this angsty soul that we've all become to know. And that's just uh, that's just become part of who uh, who he is. Um, I mean, he is the single most psychoanalyzed coach in the history of college football. Would you agree with that? You know, yeah. Nick, Nick Saban is Nick Saban is a pretty straightforward guy. There's not a whole lot of like psychological evaluation of him. If I remember right, the sort of the reasoning of I'm stepping down, and I'm coming back was. And there was that scene at practice where he saw everybody, but he kind of looked around and was like, wait a minute, like Charlie Strong won't have a job. Steve Adazio, the nutritionist, the secretary. It was like a, a little bit of like, oh, my God, there's this weight and this reality of I'm going to carry all this with me. Now, again, I believe he went coached one more year at Florida. It was largely forgettable. They lost five games. A bunch of the assistants left. And then he uh, he officially stepped down after the uh, after the next season. But, yeah, that was that was clearly a uh you know that that was that that's clearly a defining urban meyer moment when you go back and and, and, and look at him but I'll, I'll go back to something so 2018 i'm sitting in his office at ohio state the you know an hour after his press conference where he says he's stepping down and i ask him all the questions because immediately when he stepped down everybody's like whoa when's he going to come back right so i said to him <laughs> at some point would you ever go work in the nfl and he said, I could never work at a place. And then he kind of like trailed off. And he said, I see some of these NFL guys records because it's so even some of these guys, their record is 74 and 58. I could never do that. Now, what he doesn't know is if yeah. you go 74 and 58, you're going to hall, hall of fame. He's, he's going to be yeah. closer to 58 and 74, at least to begin with. It's funny. Now, Pete, you're, you're, he said he's the single most psychoanalyzed coach in the history of college football. 
because he might be the single most psycho coach in the history of college football. <laughs> I mean, that that's what comes along with this. You get psychoanalyzed when you do the things he did and say the things he said and whipsaw around to go back on him immediately. I was there in New Orleans for the press conference where he's back and like – he brings Shelly into the room, his wife, you know, and like, if I remember correctly from your story, like the family is like, oh, thank goodness he's going to retire. And then 24, 36 hours later, whatever it is, he's got Shelly's in the room with this fake smile plastered on her face. Like, oh, I'm really happy for him. He's back. And we're all like, what, what is this? This is insane. This is really, really weird. <laughs> and you just these sort of things don't really happen in in most walks of life and even in college football as weird as it is uh and i do you know I, there was a whole lot of stuff going on with that florida team i mean it was you know there was chaos and drama and carlos dunlop got a dui the week of the alabama game and alabama just blew their doors off and cool. that right then and there was when nick saban said i'm in charge of college football uh, and at the same time, Florida lost its mojo. I remember writing that day, I think, that it was the last day of the of the that the game against Cincinnati was going to be the last night of the of the Florida dynasty. And Jeremy Foley came up to me on the field before the game. He's like, it's not true. It's not It's not true. It's like, well, yeah, it's true. But didn't he it, go to know, the I mean, hospital the night of that Alabama game, Pat? I hate to cut. Yeah. You off. Yeah. He went yeah. back to Gainesville and then went to yeah. the hospital. Yeah. So it was anyway, it was a very strange time. Well, he will have to handle that because the you cannot get so up and down in the NFL because you just can't. You're going to lose, and there's no time. There's no there's one bye week. It's a grind. You have to play 16 games. There's four preseasons. You, there's no university Akron on the schedule. Right. No, um, you know you can lose five in a row and still come back and make the playoffs. It's got to be. I Injuries, mean, the mentality's got to be. We're on to Cincinnati. You know, to use Belichick's yeah, phrase. Next, that, yeah, that's it. I, I don't have time for this. We're on. You can't have that. Just do it. So that'll be his challenge. We'll be watching. Uh, no question. Now, here's one that flipped back. We get one of our one of our guys back, uh, Bill O'Brien, <laughs> the one-time Penn State coach who took the, uh, unbeknownst to him, took the un inevitable, unenviable job of, uh, it was hard enough to take over for Joe Paterno. And uh, then the NCA decides in the wake of the Jerry Sandusky scandal, where everyone's already not too happy with Penn State. And then it looks like a lot of the paternal loyalists thought Paterno got done dirty. He kind of walked into Hornets nets and then the NCA drills them with sanctions. And he did a really good job at Penn State, all things considered. Uh, then he goes to Houston. He does a good job coaching at Houston. Uh, and I, I laugh because last year, Either wild card or divisional round. I think it was one one of the two. He had a twenty something point lead on the Kansas City Chiefs last January. Right, and he was fired like four games into this season. That's the NFL. Now, part of that was his GM work, which included getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins and angering everyone and leaving them in terrible situation of cap and and all of that. But Bill O'Brien is back, and he is now the offensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, thoughts on that hire? Uh, he was the offensive coordinator in New England before he became the head coach at Penn State. Thoughts on Bill O'Brien coming back? I'm a huge fan of this hire, and uh, I think Bill O'Brien could be the next coach at Michigan. I think this is uh, this is the right amount of humility for Bill O'Brien because too many of these coaches, fired coaches, 
annually overvalue themselves by 25 to 40 percent. And uh, some people around college football will tell you it's more than that. Bill O'Brien said, hey, look, if I want to go become a college coach, which I believe Bill O'Brien does, I'm going to go back and I'm going to learn the system at the place. And again, he's smart enough to not try to copy and paste it like Jeremy Pruitt did at Tennessee. But he's going to say, I'm going to go coach the best players, put myself in a position to remind everyone that before I was a lousy general manager, I was a very good coach and play caller. And I think he is in position to do that right now at Alabama and be at the very top of all the coaching lists come end of next season. Yeah, and I mean, shoot, that's the thing. Like you said, I mean, it's not like you you can go from Alabama to a really good job like a Michigan. Yeah, his, I, I think this could work out very well. The personnel is still going to be great at Alabama. It's not going to be as, as experienced great. You know, you're going to have a, a first-year starting quarterback. Boy, is he talented, though. Holy cow, I was watching him throw uh, before the game. Yeah, there is there's a lot of talent there. Uh, the receivers, you're going to lose the best receiver in Alabama history, one of the best receivers in the history of college football. You're going to lose Najee Harris, but you're going to have other guys. I mean, they, they will have personnel. Can they s- just scheme people to death the way Sarkeesian did? Maybe not because, you're again, your personnel is going to not quite be as experienced, but you're going to have great success. You should right away. If you don't, then it's going to come back and people are going to point the finger at Bill O'Brien and say, you're the problem. But this is an opportunity for him, yeah, to reestablish himself like so many other people who have done through the uh, gone through the Nick Saban cleanse, I guess you would say, where you come <laughs> out the other side. You, you go in damaged goods and you come out the other side a hot head coaching candidate. Yeah, and I, I just don't even think he's that damaged to goods. Right. Like, you know, if you look seriously at this, could he get a Michigan job? Could he could he end up being the Alabama coach? I don't know. I mean, if he stay, I don't, we don't know what the, the Nick Saban time frame, but this was a really he did a very, very good job against what might be the most difficult circumstances you can have at Penn State. And then he was a very good coach for a long time in the NFL. He was a great assistant at New England. And you're now coming out of the. Urban Meyer says, I mean, like, what exactly you want out of a candidate has pretty much got it all. And he's not that old. So he's in his 50. So I agree. This is, um, you know, he was not he really wasn't a failed NFL coach and he wasn't a failed college coach. So uh, and I think he will bring some some interesting concepts to the program. So not surprising. Pretty much everybody who could have possibly wanted a job um, uh, got it. Staying in Alabama, just briefly, uh, the state of Alabama. Uh, Auburn, Brian Harson is putting together his staff. He is, uh, took the defensive line coach from South Carolina, the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach all out of the South Carolina, most significantly offense corner, Mike Bobo have all jumped from South Carolina to Auburn, which I thought is pretty interesting. Little mid mid-level sort of mid-level, uh, pillaging in the sec. Uh, it's expected that uh, this kid Gunnar Stockton, who's a, a highly, re- highly regarded recruit from Georgia that was headed to South Carolina, is going to end up at Auburn with Bobo, uh, which would be a big deal for for Auburn. I think he's considered the, you know one of the top two or three, basically the second best pro style QB after the uh, the kid Quinn Quinn uh, Ewers, who's going to Ohio State. Um, so that would be a big deal, Auburn. You know, this is one of the more interesting hires because he got. 
an established coach coming in from a different region. And that was the one thing. How does this work? Thoughts on uh, on Harson so far, Pat, and, and getting some Southern ties here? Well, I think we've established that Auburn should be able to beat South Carolina next year. We'll see who else they beat. I mean, <laughs> that, you know, it's, 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 it's good that, you know, Harson is doing what he needs to do in terms of getting people that know the terrain. Uh, for sure. So like he's building a staff that should help him in the South since that's not his area of expertise. I, I have yet to figure out w- why people get starry eyed about Mike Bobo. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly remember listening to Georgia fans just moan and groan about his play calling under Mark Richt for years and years. So we'll see what, what it all means. I, I am very much wait and see on Brian Harson and his staff at Auburn and and what it's going to look like and what it's going to turn into. The one other a quick interesting thing from a staff standpoint, I don't want to hijack it, but Steve Sarkeesian's taking Kyle Flood, who was a very successful offensive line coach at Alabama, and their special teams co- coordinator with him to Texas. So Saban's got a lot of work to do in terms of staff rebuilding at, uh, at Alabama. Special team coordinator making a million a yeah, year. Of course. At Texas. <laughs> yeah, those are high-level poaches now, right? When you yeah. see those, those are you are hitting Nick Saban where it where it hurts. Those are those are legit proven guys at the at the highest level. The Auburn staff, quite frankly, I, I'm underwhelmed to uh to to start as uh, as as Pat intimated there earlier. I, I really think that they're you know that the, they are addressing some of the areas where they are going to struggle, but some of their some of their sputtering around and hiring a staff is is indicative of the fact that Brian Harson really hasn't done it at this level. So I think Derek Mason's a good defensive coordinator hire. Will Friend was one of the most underperforming position coaches in the SEC this year. I mean, Tennessee had a ton of talent on that offensive line, and it did not translate at all. They were not tough, and they, they that is a unit that may have been one of the most underachieving ones in the whole league. So it'll be really interesting to see how all the how all the pieces fit together there. And and if you're Harson, you got to remember Gus Malzahn won 66% of his games at Auburn. He beat Alabama three times, and I, I, the standard is pretty high. There, you. You can't afford a year or two of a learning curve, right? Like if your if your job is to topple Alabama, I'm skeptical of the start from what I've seen in terms of staff. And then in terms of personnel, you lose Big Cat Brian off the defensive line. You lose another key defensive line guy to the portal. I mean, shoot, last night I, I broke a story that Rutgers is going to transfer DB from North Carolina. They beat Auburn for him. So they're in need of personnel. They're in need of immediate help right now. And it'll be interesting. Harson certainly can develop quarterbacks, and there's certainly some magic in his offensive acumen there. But are you going to have the pieces to do it in the SEC? All right, that's what I get for trying to say something nice. <laughs> I mean, damn, first week of the offseason, I try to throw Auburn a little bit of a bone, a little bit of hope, we kill and you two just, <laughs> yeah, ice bucket challenged me on that thing. Jeez. You can go ahead and champion their moves. That's fine. Auburn, you're going <laughs> to suck. You're going to beat it. South Carolina. There you go. <laughs> All right, in other uh, how the SEC assistant coaches turn, keeps the powers the South all winter long. Tennessee. Sully, I don't know if you can explain this. They hire former Auburn defensive uh, coordinator Kevin Steele. He's added to the staff, although we have no idea quite yet what his duties are. Uh, does this set up Steele as the, you know, he was he was trying to get the, the Auburn job until the effective Stop the Steel campaign <laughs> by Auburn fans. 
was my Thankfully, that was favorite. the only effective Stop the Steal campaign that we've seen. That is true. I'm sorry. Um, I found that to be well done. Well done, Pete, too. Uh, anyway, Stop the Steal is now up in, uh, in, in Knoxville. If I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I'm uh, sleep with one eye open, <laughs> yeah. buddy. What? What? We already know Pruitt's under investigations for, for you know, they've brought in the dreaded internal investigation. She uh, can find whatever the hell you want. He did not go across a crosswalk in downtown Knoxville in 2019. Like yeah, a, that's what uh, Bon Shenikin King is looking at, uh, looking at storefront video right now. That's right. Illegally crossed Cumberland Avenue. Get him yes. out. <laughs> yeah, he still has a couple uh, Alabama logoed golf balls in his bag. Uh, that's in- <laughs> insurrection. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. So uh, thoughts on what's up at Tennessee? And is Kevin Steele our next coach? Or is Gus Malzahn our next coach up there? Is Hugh Freeze, my dream, our next coach? What's going on? Or is, is the Pruitt experience uh, going to live on here? Here would be the best thing. This would be, this would be my dream scenario. And I'm not sure it's all that far-fetched, but okay. So they continue the internal investigation and blow up in April or whatever. Kevin Steele, hey, he's right there to step in as the defensive coordinator. Phil Fulmer comes in to handle the offense and finally fulfills his prophecy to get back to being the Tennessee coach. Probably won't happen, but that's what I am rooting for, actually, is just to see Phil Fulmer stand up there grandiosely full of himself one more time and say, this is what I've been working for the chance to prove you shouldn't have fired me in 2008 and brought all of this trouble upon Rocky top. Well, I just have to thank Tennessee because their continuing stupidity, idiocy, and horrible personnel moves have just made our podcast fodder so much better. And the steel one is the most baffling. Like, look, they're supposed to have a hiring freeze where they can't hire anyone. And then they go and hire the one coach that is going to prevent them from the one coach who may actually want to go there and could be good. So if I think Tennessee should hire Gus Malzahn when they eventually run Pruitt out of town, all right? Gus Malzahn no, they're never will, get doing you, that. will get you back to perfectly functional. You will, you will be in the middle of the pack plus in the SEC East, which is something you can only see with a telescope right now, okay? So if you want to get your program back and just – Decent again and respected again in the SEC, which it is not, is the laughing stock of the SEC. You you bring in Gus Malzahn. So instead, they hire Kevin Steele. Now remember, there were three finalists once Fulmer took over the search last time when they ended up with the disastrous Jeremy Pruitt hire. They were Mel Tucker, Kevin Steele, and Jeremy Pruitt. Because Phil Fulmer wanted a defensive guy. So the the hiring of Steele, and we don't know if this is Fulmer or if this is somebody else. And again, there are a lot of all these forces moving and scheming at Tennessee. But the only thing Steele does to me is Steele prevents you from getting Gus Malls on there because he's still like the knife is still bleeding in Kevin Steele's hand right now. All right. And the one, the, the best coach I think Tennessee can get. All right. They can't get Hugh Freeze. We've established. Why not? Well, you know, we have not established that. You established it. Dan and no, I think they can absolutely it. get Hugh Freeze. I will, I will send you a case of your beloved <laughs> Sierra Nevada if they end up with Hugh Freeze, okay? Hey, free, free put, bet. Yeah, Take free it. bet. I'm <laughs> yeah. putting my yeah. booze where my mouth is, okay? Okay. Like, that is Pete betting on SEC. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not where, where could this go wrong? SEC, the SEC ethics, but in this <laughs> singular case, 
I really don't think you can do it. And the other, the reason they can't bring in Hugh Freeze now is the methodology in which they're trying to fire Jeremy Pruitt. You just can't do it. Even Tennessee, with all its low morals and all its terrible leadership, can't stoop that low. They just can't. All right, I'm standing by it. <laughs> Feel free to mock me. You can put me up as a scarecrow and laugh at me if I'm wrong. But even Tennessee can't stoop that low. Dondi Plowman will not go there. That is my that is my bet. I think you I think you could be right. I just think the reasoning <laughs> is like it's like when you get the right pro you get the right answer in math, and then the teacher dreadedly goes, Let me see your work. And you're like, who cares? <laughs> you saying I don't have the Tennessee yeah. Pythagorean theorem correct? Is that better? Yes. The fact that your work is that they're too ethical to do it, I disagree. No, I but hey, it would whatever. Look that's too horrific, even for their low standards of looking horrific. Too, that's what I that's too what I what? think. You can't as a university, go to the NCA and, and essentially beg for reasoning to fire a guy to then go hire a guy in which you would have to essentially rationalize to your league and to the NCAA why you're doing it. I, I, you can't. Those two hands cannot uh, be working. Uh, well, we will together, see. We will in, see. In my mind. So anyway, Tennessee's a mess. Keep it going, guys. Like you really went up yourself this week. What, what could you have for us next week? I'm 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 curious. All right. So uh, one time. uh Briefly in the late 90s, I worked at the uh, Chicago Tribune, moved to Chicago, obviously, and I had a bank account. I opened a bank account at this bank on Michigan Avenue or right near Michigan Avenue. I can't remember now because back then you kind of needed a local bank account and all that. So at, at the end, when I finally moved out of Chicago, I, re I forgot about the bank account. The bank account, I remember having like, like $22 in it or something like that, like 22 bucks, like $18. But I forgot about it. And like a, like two years later, like in the middle of the night, I woke up and go, what, what happened to that bank account? Like I got like 20 bucks over in Chicago. Where's my, my 20? And I could not figure out which bank it was. <laughs> I had no paperwork, nothing. And it's still like 20 years later, still pissing me off because that thing's worth a good like 58 bucks right now or something. It's a lot of bush light. You know? That's my money. Yes. That's my money. I earned that damn money and it's sitting in a bank and I cannot find the bank. I don't know. I have no way to get this. So I am kindred spirits with this guy, Stefan Thomas, a German born programmer who was in the New York Times this week. Uh, he lives in San Francisco. Back in the day, got 7,002 Bitcoin and put it in, you know, the cryptocurrency. And he put it as it stays in this uh, thing called the iron key, which contains like the private keys to a digital wallet that has the Bitcoin and only you know how to unlock the Bitcoin and then you can sell the Bitcoin. If you do not know the password, you cannot touch the Bitcoin. Okay. That 7,002 Bitcoin is now worth about $220 million. It's a lot of Bitcoin. At least it was at the time. And he can't remember the password. <laughs> That's a nightmare. Much like my 50 bucks in Chicago. <laughs> This guy is out $220 million because he can't remember. Now, this is the real thing. I can pursue my my money forever. Like there was a I know it was there, but I don't know how to get it. But if it was $220 million, I would, I would, my my endeavors would be a little bit more significant than they currently are, just not even trying. Now, this guy's already rich. He has made a fortune. They don't they don't say how much, but a fortune on Bitcoin. So we're not gonna cry too much. It's not like he's you know, rattling around broke and there's 220 million. But this is absolutely a, a movie. If the, I mean, someone's got to write this movie, yeah. Yeah. right? The thing with the Bitcoin is you get 10 shots at your password. And if you fail on all 10, the, the 
iron, uh, iron whatever, key. the iron wallet, yeah. iron key locks forever, <laughs> and the Bitcoin is gone. He has attempted eight times on the password. And now the password is a little more complicated than like password with like the, the at sign is the <laughs> one, two, three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six. Didn't they figure out Trump's like Twitter password? Didn't some guy who was like MAGA 2016 or something? <laughs> <laughs> it was like something. <laughs> some guy in Sweden figured, and then he reported it because he realized he was in a lot of trouble. <laughs> he like, report, it was like, he's like, oh, wait a minute. This worked. I'm probably going to get arrested if I don't report myself. Right now, I didn't do anything. But anyway, yeah, like the rest of us, you, can, you spend enough time. So he's got two shots left on $220 million. Pat, your thoughts. <laughs> your thoughts. This is like my worst nightmare. I mean, first of all, uh, the idea of having that much money. But but like I am terrible with passwords. I can't. I, I You know, you have to change them all the time. And my God, at Yahoo!, <laughs> It has to be 18 to 20 alphanumeric with special characters, and you have to change it every, like, eight weeks. I mean, uh, <laughs> brutal. So I don't miss those days. But that's, I like, I, I can't imagine the stress of sitting here and trying. You got two chances left. When do you try it? When do you try number nine? And then when that doesn't work, oh, my God, what do you do for the last shot? And you're right, it would be a hell of a movie because of the, the last shot, he's pressing the last keystroke like while having a complete nervous breakdown. And, of course, he unlocks it then. But that's the movie in real life. It doesn't sound too good for this guy. This It sounds to me like Bitcoin's like Vegas where the house is going to win a lot of these because not everybody's going to remember the old password. And so if it just disappears, Bitcoin, I guess, is the winner, keeps the, keeps the Bitcoin. But this is another reason... Pete, you will love this. I like to go to the bank myself and walk in and actually <laughs> interact with the bank teller. Okay? I am fine going and depositing a check in person and them giving me money in person as opposed to some theoretical damn Bitcoin that I need a password to get that I can't remember. <laughs> Plus, they got lollipops, right? Kids used to love to go to the bank for that. When this gentleman cracks the Bitcoin code, the the only comparable party would be the party that took place in the Yahoo IT department when Pat left for Sports Illustrated. <laughs> uh, I'm joking, obviously. The uh, yes, Pat. By the way, so we we have the race for the case. Our listeners know, and, and you know, we sent beer. So I've been trying to get Pat to download the app Drizzly. Much like when Pat was locked in his hotel room because of COVID at the uh, national semifinals, I tried to get him to get like Uber Eats on his phone. The, Pat's yeah. just not ready. He's not ready nope. to deposit his checks. He's not ready to get food delivered. He's not ready to send me beer. Pat is just ready to handle what Pat can handle. So we respect that, Pat. Gradual, gradual. So remember when not uh, early days of GPS, when you, you I used to have a Garmin and it was like godsend early 2000s. I worked at the New York Times. I'd land somewhere, put the address in the Garmin. I'd take it with me everywhere. Pat, I would break that thing out of the car. Pat would look at me like a three heads. No, we just have, we have a map. You don't need <laughs> GPS. Map? You can read the damn map. The map works. Are your yes. memory? Lewis what? and Clark didn't. Yeah. Hey. Come on. They made it all the way to work. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes, they did. Pat was just sec second very late up. to Uber. He was very skeptical of Uber. I, I could just take a cab. I don't need some guy picking me up. 
So eventually, I think Pat got there on GPS, and I believe he's got there on Uber to some. Oh yeah, to some yeah. to some no. extent. So I have, and actually, I do have direct deposit for my checks. But you know, I'm, I but the password thing that that just kills me. Do I you mean, have direct I deposit have on your phone, memory. or do you have direct deposit? No. Like, <laughs> Not on my phone. No. I mean, it's amazingly easy if you have to cash a check or have, you have to deposit a check. Literally take a picture of it and then it's in your account yeah. in like two clicks. But hey. Nope. No, thank All you. Right. All right. I remember I asked one of Pat's uh, sons once like it, to maybe help him get uh, like uh, Venmo or PayPal or something like that. And he looked at me like, I ain't messing with that password <laughs> morass. Like, no way. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's, it's sad like i used to re- i can still remember the phone numbers of some of my childhood friends yeah. you know I, but i can't remember a password from last week i mean jimmy egan 303-599-7899 <laughs> i can get you jimmy or david i can get you martin whirling 303-598-4119 but some poor guy sitting in that house is gonna get random calls <laughs> you know pat 40 he's an asshole <laughs> Our podcast Hates, listeners Hates aren't Kansas like football. Yes, we're not. All, all angry Tennessee uh, fans could call Jimmy Egan's childhood home <laughs> with all their complaints for the pod. I do know numbers like that, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, this would be. So two things. One, that he needs to event. First of all, he's not going to do it. Until, he's hoping technology will improve. He's playing the long game. He says, I'll just, the technology will improve and we'll figure yeah. it out relax he's he's obviously very very yeah. well off which would not be the case in my movie <laughs> right okay and we got to get a love interest oh, in there yeah, somehow course. you know like sandra bullocks or you yeah. know something like that but if he does do the the picking you got to make it a, like a global reality show for charity oh we're like well, in my last two, like the whole world would be watching <laughs> this thing and he'd be like i'll yeah. split it with, with, I don't know. I mean, this would be fantastic, right? We get like Mario Lopez up there in a cheesy <laughs> tuxedo. And this is, I got ideas yeah, here, do. man. I got ideas. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll make the big one. I didn't think we got a Mario Lopez part, drop on the pod today. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, you never know. He's a good, he's a good cheesy host mm-hmm. for that. Perfect. So it, it's like the World Cup uh, selection show, which, you know, gets this unbelievable audience. This is even bigger than March Madness, I know. Uh, but it, like they 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 take golf, the ping pong balls out of the out of the little uh, like lottery thing and and they and, and it's, it's this massive deal and people are angry. There's practically wars between countries on whoever gets stuck in the group of death and has to play like uh, Germany and the, the group play and all this different things. So they put up like this, just they put like models up there because they figure people won't be angry at them. So maybe we need to go that instead of Mario Lopez. <laughs> I don't know. But I want to point this out because Bitcoin has a has a, a, a history with college football a little bit. Uh, in, in 2014, the at the time, St. Petersburg Bowl, which at one point had been, let's see, through the years, it's been the Magic Jack Bowl. The St. Petersburg Bowl presented by Beef O'Brady's, mm-hmm. the Beef O'Brady's Bowl. <laughs> and then later, the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl, my favorite. I love it. I remember it. Uh, and then later, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl, but the game got canceled. So, so much for the mortgage. <laughs> um, but in 2014, in June 18, 2014, it was announced by the St. Petersburg Bowl, that the game would be sponsored by Bitcoin, then a little-known uh, currency. And it was the Bitcoin St. Petersburg Bowl 
Do you remember this? I do vaguely. And I, you know, having, I had no idea what Bitcoin was or, you know, why it mattered. And at the time it didn't matter much, but lo and behold. Uh, it would be worth 66 times what it was. It is now. Wow. Uh, so in 2014, if they had charged them a half a million dollars for the sponsorship, and I don't know what the sponsorship of St. <laughs> Petersburg Bowl is, considering Beef O'Brady's had it, probably, you know, three orders of chicken wings and a pitcher of beer. <laughs> but a half million dollar deal if the St. Petersburg Bowl, the bowl directors who are so good at graft and grift had just taken Bitcoin, they'd have 33 million this year. Oh, ouch. Yeah. And maybe they would have lost their password, <laughs> but they would have been in the... New Year's Day six. Oh, they're coming now. Oh, yeah. They would have. We got Bitcoin. They would have bought their way in for sure. <laughs> One of the colossal mistakes of all time, letting Bitcoin get away as a sponsor. Yeah. Holy moly. They went from Bitcoin to the mower to, to Beefo Brady. <laughs> yeah, you can't get a can't get a chicken sandwich at Beefo Brady's and a, and a beer for, you know, 10 bucks. They had it. So Bitcoin. Imagine if they gave each player like one Bitcoin or something. Yeah. That would have been well, nice. It's worth about six hundred bucks at the time. <laughs> so it's uh, about sixty. So it's uh, about four forty thousand uh, for a Bitcoin right now, and it's been dropping. We had a bad bad week. It would have been even more a couple weeks ago. So anyway, uh, I guess good luck to this guy. Although you got plenty of money, you made a ton of money on this ridiculous thing. So I don't feel that bad for him. I feel terrible for him just for my own anxiety. The thought of having two hundred million dollars evaporate because I didn't know a password is. Uh, I think the 50 bucks that I think is sitting in a Chicago <laughs> bank to me proportionally is more. <laughs> That's put it this way. Like I could use that 50 as we head into the offs. It's the as we head into the off season, this needs to be an ongoing saga. You need to up your efforts to get the 50, $58 and keeping keep the podcast nah, listenership apprised as we go. I went back to where the bank was and the bank was no longer there. That's a problem. And so, th and I cannot remember the name of the bank. So I guess I, it would take a lot of work. Uh, and 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 for all I know, there was only six bucks in it, and it's only like I don't know. Anyway, me and Stefan, kindred spirits. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, keep subscribing and listening all off season. We'll we'll try to keep this fun. Plenty of college sports to go. We got some good topics next week too. Uh, a little deeper dive in some things. And uh, talk to you all next week. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.